Good to see you today. We are glad you're here. Welcome home. Uh, Steve mentioned earlier, in just a few weeks, May 27th, which is Memorial Day, we're going to have a Don't Miss Sunday. I know some of us will be out of town that day, and there'll be others coming into town, but if you're going to be around, uh, come and also bring someone with you. Uh, we will have one service that day at 10 o'clock, so if you... Uh, think about it. We won't be meeting at 8.30 and 11.30. We'll have one service, and then we'll just have a great time of fellowship. So we encourage you to, to come and be a part of that. We're in a series called Habits. Next week is Mother's Day. Everybody, guys, kids, make sure you take care of your mom next week. We're going to wrap up our series on Mother's Day, uh, and today, obviously, uh, we're going to be talking in a series called Habits. They're leading us somewhere. And I want to share a story with you that will help point the direction for today. Uh, I think it was maybe a couple years ago, maybe two or three years ago, I was coaching Noah's league baseball team and uh, we were playing a team uh, in any way, I don't know how long in, probably an inning or so in, I noticed that the coach just was being loud and he just kept being loud and he just kept screaming at the kids. I mean, just constantly. Have you ever been to a game like that where the coach, don't point to anybody, but where the coach is just yelling, but not encouraging or not even just when they do something wrong, just yelling at everything. And so it's just, it got to be really obnoxious. And so you know, a kid would get in the box and he'd say, choke up and the, and the batter didn't know what that meant. And so he, you know, I mean, it was bad. And finally, I just wanted to go over to him. I didn't do this, but I finally just was like, He's not prepared. This is obvious that he doesn't practice this team. And I want to just walk over him and say, it's too late. He was going to be like, what do you mean? You guys should have been practicing before the game. You're trying to coach them when the game's happening. And it's too late. I share that with you today because in our lives... When we don't have a habit of preparing, it naturally leads to a habit of reacting. When we don't have a habit of preparing intentionally, what happens naturally is we have a habit of reacting. And much like the situation in the game where as things got more intense and, and, and that kind of a thing, the more he began to scream and yell and the kids began to have anxiety and, and we were in the same situations, but instead of, you know, screaming and yelling, I was just saying, hey man, you know, don't let that last one go by. Because we had prepared and we had practiced and we were ready. We have things that happen to us in our lives And depending on how we've prepared, will determine how we react. We've been saying throughout this series that the habits that you have today will become the legacy you leave tomorrow. And whether we prepare or not every day spiritually, will determine the type of legacy that we leave and that our kids grab onto tomorrow. If we have time with God and we spend time with Him and we, and we have Him filling us up every day and we set aside this time and we're praying and we're talking with God and we're getting wisdom and we're requesting things of God and we're listening to what He has to say, that prepares us for the day. But when we habitually don't do those things, we react to the day rather than being prepared for the day. 
We see this situation play out in Daniel chapter 3. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn with me there, you can. Daniel chapter 3, it's a a kid's story that many of us are familiar with. But if you're not familiar with it, it's a story about a, a king. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar was one of these guys that had a huge ego and and prided himself on people doing what he wanted them to do. And so he comes up with this idea of building this gold statue that's like 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. This was his vision. And he was going to have people worship this statue. So he plans it out and he tells these people who are able to build it to build it. And they build it. and, And much like... You know, a a contractor, a construction person, you know, builds something. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes time and people begin to anticipate it being finished because they're seeing it being built. The people were watching this thing go up. And I was trying to think about how tall is 90 feet tall? And this sanctuary, the tallest point in here is 21 feet. And the tallest building in Pittsburgh is the best hotel. If you've been around here very long, you've driven by it on 4th Street. And the best hotel is about 13 stories tall. And so I got to thinking, well, how far is 90 feet on the best hotel? And so you see that yellow line there on the building. That's about nine stories-ish, which would be about 90 feet tall. It's hard in this picture to really imagine what that looks like. But if you, if you know where I'm talking about, the building that I'm talking about, imagine yourself standing next to that. And it's 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, which would be essentially about the width of the windows-ish, maybe give or probably a little less than that. So you have a statue that's 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. That's the statue that was built, this gold statue that was built. After it's built, he has a dedication, Nebuchadnezzar does. And he invites the who's who list of people to come and and, and attend this dedication. And so he has the officers and the officials and the governors and the chamber of commerce and all the leaders everywhere. Not just of, just of of one community, but the region and all around. All these people. And he invites them to this dedication and he has them stand in front of this massive statue, this huge gold statue. And as they're standing up there, everybody's gathered around for this dedication. And there's, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us how many, but it's just a sea of people. I mean, you imagine a region of people. And then this herald, which was one of the king's assistants, he issues a decree and he, you know, they didn't probably have a microphone, obviously, so he just yells. And he says, listen up. Everybody is to bow at the feet of this statue, to bow where you're at. When you hear the music play and he lists all these different instruments, you can read the story if you'd like. And you're to bow to this statue and worship this statue. And if you don't bow, whoever doesn't bow is going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And so the king is just proud of himself. And he sees this statue and all of his leaders. And then he just watches this sea of people just bow. Talk about power. Talk about control. The pride is just welling inside of him. You know, he's just accomplished all this stuff. And somewhere in this sea of people, there's these three men 
who are taking a different road, a different path, the road less inhabited. Everybody else is bowing and they're standing. And whoever got the, drew the short stick had to go tell the king what was going on. And so somebody goes and tells the king, uh, Sir, yeah. I'm sorry, what? They said, people in the vicarage point are not standing. What? Sir, I'm, I don't want to make you mad, but here's the deal. There's these three Jewish men. They're not from my region. Okay, they're from Larry's region. Uh, Sorry, Larry. Uh, there's these three men that aren't bowing. They're not bowing. They're standing. Of course, the Bible says he gets mad and he flies into a rage and he asks for them to come forward. How do you stand in faith when it's a lot easier just to bow in fear? How do you do the right thing? And not the easy thing. And these men walk forward in front of the king. And the king, you know, is the scripture tells us at some point his face, he's so angry that his face is contorted. You ever been so mad at your kids, your face changes? Sometimes my son will say, Dad, you're scaring me. I said, Why? You're angry with your face. (sighs) So the king says, hey, is it true? Is it true that you three are not bowing? I'll give you one more chance. And if you don't bow, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. Now what's not said in this story, which is the habit that I want to talk to us about today and which is the thing that allowed them to stand instead of just bow was they weren't reacting in fear. They had been prepared in faith and they had spent time in the quiet place bowing so they could stand in the difficult place before the king. And rather than just saying, "Uh, no, you just, you know, you just saw that wrong. We were bowing. Here's what they say. Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve, let's finish that out, is able, He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. If that's not bad enough, and you can't read voice inflection, are they saying this confidently? Are they saying this humbly? But even if he doesn't, even if God doesn't save us, you throw us in the fire and we burn up and he doesn't save us. We want you to, we want, just want to be clear here, okay? To you, your majesty, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue of that you have set up. I think this is where his face gets contorted. And the rest of the story, he orders that the furnace be turned up seven times hotter. And he orders the strongest men that could bound them the tightest to tie him up 
And the men that tied him up, actually, they die throwing him in the furnace because of the heat. And Nebuchadnezzar's thinking to himself, okay, I've made an example here that I'm king, I'm Lord, and when I tell you to bow, you're going to bow, and if you don't, look at them. But then he looks over at them, and he says, hey, didn't we, didn't we tie up three guys? Yeah. Well, I see four, and they're walking around, and they're not tied up. And Nebuchadnezzar can't believe what he's seeing, and he gets as close to the furnace that he can without dying from the heat. And he says, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out. The God, you know, your God has saved you. And so they walk out and the king decrees, hey, listen, anybody who curses their God, anybody who doesn't, says anything against their God, it will be paid back to them terribly. And they begin to praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's our, that's the story today. That's the scripture that we're going to read. But I want to share that with you today because there's things in our life that are 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. There's people in our life that sometimes by doing the right thing, it's going to end up causing strife. There's pressure in our life like this statue that's being built and all these leaders that are in front of you and this king and all these things that are happening in our life and this pressure gets to us and it would just be easy to bow in fear rather than stand in faith. How do we do this? How can we be the hero in, a, in this story in our lives? How do we develop the habit of standing in faith rather than bowing in fear? How do we do that? You all know somebody. That you think, how do they do that? Why are they still standing? Why are they, they, their child died. Why are they still standing? Why are they still praising God? I heard their story. They were abused in emotionally and physically and sexually and in every way that you, that you can think of. And they're not bitter. How are they standing in faith rather than just being changed in fear? The habit of bowing in the quiet place prepares you for standing in the difficult place. We opened up that story about this baseball coach who's screaming at his kids. He's reacting. Preparing prevents reacting. Say it with me. Preparing prevents reacting. Let's try it again. Preparing. When you've spent time in the quiet place, the quiet place is figuratively time with God. What's 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide in your life is not a furnace. It's the presence of God. They had put the time in preparing with the Lord. They didn't know that they were going to be 
that trial. They had just been spending time getting to know God and had been close to God. And they believed that the real power was not the heat of the furnace. They believed the power was not how hot you can get the furnace. They believed the power didn't reside with King Nebuchadnezzar. They believed the power wasn't all the who's who's list that's going to think that they didn't bow. That wasn't where their power source was from because they were prepared. They weren't reacting. They had been prepared. You see a team, a football team or a baseball team, and they're losing. They're like, we win. We're losing now, but we're going to win this game. And you see another team's like, oh, I just hope we don't lose. Totally different mindset. Can I tell you today, it's possible that when you walk with God, what's 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide in your is the trial. But when we haven't spent time in the quiet place, when we haven't spent time knowing God and, and, and listening to God and praying to God and, and creating that time each day, what will be 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide will be the furnace, will be the king, will be the pressure. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They don't see that you have the power. They don't feel the pressure, at least to the point that they're not willing to move in faith. They refuse to serve your gods. And they do not and will not worship The statue that you set up. Because I think they believe, they must believe, sir, that it's not the heat of the fire. It's who's with you in the fire. Say it with me. It's not the heat It's not the heat of the fire. It's who's with you in the fire. You don't, you don't adopt that philosophy if you're not in the quiet place. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had practiced their faith. You practice how you play. You play how you practice. They had practiced. And I don't mean practice like we think of sports. I mean they practice, meaning they do it. They practice their faith. They, they, it, their faith was active. It wasn't dormant. It wasn't lukewarm. It wasn't, I believe these things because I grew up believing them. I get them right on paper, but I'm not doing them. They practiced their faith. They spent time with God. They had sought God's heart. That's why Abraham was able to raise you know, the knife and be willing to, to kill Isaac, his son, if you know that story, but he didn't have to, but he was willing to do it. That's why David was willing to go out because the math says nine foot nine, 500 pounds beats an 11 or 12 year old boy. But when you put the time in with God, when you're prepared, okay, I didn't study for every test in school, but the ones that I 
went into confidently. I went in there confidently because I was ready. I had prepared. The ones that I was nervous, I wasn't ready. And when you put the time in with God in the quiet place, you begin to focus on who's with you, not what's in front of you. Are you focused, and I'm asking myself this, are we focused on what's in front of us, more, more month than money? Are you focused on your health or your spiritual health? Which one are you focused on? Are you focused on what's coming up this week that's, that's not, that feels 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide? Or are you focused on the person who's going to get you through the week that you've got coming up? You see, when we put time in with God, it, 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 it focuses our vision on something different. We see something different. It's not that... It's not that whatever we've got to deal with or whatever we've got to face isn't in the background. It's just in the background and in the foreground, in the front of us here, is Jesus. But if it's been a minute, if it's been a month, if it's been a long time since we've connected with God, Jesus is not going to be front and center. He's in the background. You're, you believe in Jesus. You're not going to take him out of the background. But what you've got in front of you is so big you can't see him. Nebuchadnezzar shouts, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a God. What's interesting is in just a minute, he doesn't call him a God. He calls him the most high God. You see, when you're faithful intentionally, you become fruitful naturally. Say it with me. When you're faithful intentionally, you become fruitful naturally. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were faithful in the quiet place so they could stand in the difficult place. And God delivers them and their faith is shown and it bears fruit. Here's the fruit. The king just calls their God a God. Look what he calls them here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the what? He just said a God. Now he's calling him the most what? Faithfulness produces fruitfulness. When we're faithful intentionally, we will produce fruit naturally. They were faithful and it bore fruit. This man that was not a believer just now believed in their God. It went from a God to the most high God. Check that out. The fourth looks like what? Stay with me. Servants of the... Whew. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. When you're faithful intentionally, you become fruitful naturally. 
I share that with you today. This is a pretty basic thing, but it's such a it's such a good reminder for us that the habit talking about habits, you know, we talk about exercise, we talk about saying thank you and all those kinds of things. That's not what this series is about. Those those habits are important, but they're not more important than what than what's on the screen. The habit of bowing in the quiet place prepares you for standing in the difficult place. Here's another way we could say it. Faith gazes at God and glances at the problem. Fear gazes at the problem. Boy, this is good. And glances at God. If we were in a Pentecostal church, I could preach this differently. Faith, it gazes at God. Right? That's not me. But I could see somebody doing that. Folks, I, can just, I just want to lay on this point for just a minute. You think that you're glancing at your problem and gazing at God, but proof's in the pudding. What's 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide in your life? Whatever it is, is what you talk about all the time and what you focus on. Are you gazing at God? Now check this out. Are you gazing at God in the midst of the problem? Are you, are you gazing at the problem? And because you believe there's a God and because you went to camp when you were 12 and got saved, he's still in the background, so you're trying to glance. But as the problem gets bigger, it's harder to glance at him. And then all of a sudden, you just, all you see is the problem. The quiet place, that time with God, allows you to see something different. So how do we develop the habit of gazing at God and glancing at the problem? So I went to this leadership roundtable thing in Ohio here a couple of weeks ago, and I was in there for two days, and there was all kinds of different people in the room, but everybody there um, was doing some good things, leaders in their own right. And as about three-fourths through the weekend, I thought, man, I haven't heard one thing that I don't already know, just like practical stuff, like have parking lot attendants. Okay, we do. We can get better at that, all right? And they started going through all this stuff. But here's the thing that just wrecked me. They went around the table. This is embarrassing. I'm just telling you. Tell me what your intentional time with God is every day. So the first two guys, these are all pastors. The first two guys around the table, I can tell they don't have intentional time with God, but they're trying to figure out a way to say that without, without making themselves look bad in front of these other people. They didn't say, do you spend time with God? They said, tell me about your intentional time with God. 
Two different questions. So two guys in front of me are trying to fake it, I can tell. You know, you can tell somebody's not telling the truth. And they get to me. And I said, you know, I don't have an intentional time with God right now. And the other two look at me like, I just can't believe that. And the guy goes, man, first honest kid in the room. And this guy gets up a little bit later and he starts talking about, you know, we can do all these things in ministry and rely on our gifts, but there comes a point where you run dry. And if you don't have that personal soul care time with God, you're not going to be able to be what God calls you to be. And it was in that moment that God's presence came down and I knew the reason that I was supposed to be there. And so I made... I made this decision that I was going to make margin for God. And I decided that the best time for me to make margin is in my truck before I I drive a school bus in the morning. And I can't do it at the house because my wife teaches Chinese kids in the mornings. And I don't want to bother her. And she would be bothering me. And I also don't want to fall into the habit of, okay, look at me. Look how spiritual I'm being by doing this. So I decided before I left Ohio, I was actually on the flight home, that I'm going to get in the truck and I'm going to sit outside of the bus barn and I'm going to spend time with God. But then the guy started talking about, don't just make time for God. Don't just make margin for God you have to have a plan and you know he's right because when you're it's early in the morning and you're tired if you don't have a plan you know what you end up doing or your mind starts drifting if you're ADD so I came up with this five for five plan for me okay I'm just telling you mine you guys can do whatever you want five things in 25 minutes five for five five times five is 25 Five things, five minutes apiece for 25 minutes. Most people don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. So I came up with this little thing. I resisted the urge to tell anybody. Now you guys know. The first five minutes, I turned my truck on at my house. And I put on Christian music or I'll put on something that I've downloaded on my phone, music, and from my truck, from my house to the bus barn, I just have music, Christian worship going, and I'm just listening to that. I'm getting in the mood. And then the next five minutes, I'm just telling God I love him. And I, what came to my head was, I'm, I'm not sharing this with you for any other reason than I'm trying to bring clarity to how you can do this, Okay. Jesus says to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So I got to thinking the first thing you do when you pray is to praise, right? So the next five minutes is me just saying I love you and thank you. I'm not asking God for something. I'm just saying thank you to God. So I started doing that. And then the next five minutes is I read out loud. I have ADD, so if I just read and I don't read out loud, I can't stay focused. So I... Again, this is just me. I read out loud whatever I'm going to read. 
And then I spend five minutes just telling God whatever it is I need him to do or how for him to act, you know, whatever I need done. And I spend a little bit of time saying, okay, I'm done. What do you need to say to me? And I want to tell you something. It's changed the way that I see some things in my life. There's some things, I'm trying to work on them, but there's some times where I would have reacted because I wasn't prepared. That I was able to have self-control because I was prepared. I normally would have said that. I normally would have got frustrated. Find margin. Have a plan. And this is the part that I'm, I'm getting better at, but I've still got to do it. You've got to protect your margin time with Jesus because it determines everything. I usually found a way to spend time with God every day, but sometimes I wasn't able to because I wasn't preparing. I was just reacting to my day, and so whatever happened in my day determined whether or not I was going to have time, right? But preparing and planning prevents reacting. The habit of bowing in the quiet place The habit of, not once, the habit of. Say it with me. The habit of. The habit of. I had done it. I had bowed in the quiet place. Most days I'd bowed in the quiet place, but I didn't have an intentional habit of. The habit of bowing in the quiet place prepares you to stand in the difficult place. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had the habit of bowing in the quiet place when there wasn't a statue, when there wasn't officials, when there wasn't peer pressure. They had chosen to stand with God and to bow with God and say, God, you have my heart. Prepare my heart for what you have for me today. And they had developed that intimacy and that relationship with God. And then one day, the king says, Everyone bow and worship this false idol. And if you don't, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And their quiet place habit gave them confidence for the difficult place. Folks, today, this is such a meat and potatoes thing. It's not an entertaining sermon. It's not a message that... It's a message. It's a reminder to us today. If you're losing in your life, if you're losing the battles, if you're losing the struggles, if you're, if you're feeling like you're full of fear instead of faith, can I just ask you question number one? Tell me about your habit of quiet place. If you would say to me today that you don't have one, 
it's not too late to start one. And if you don't want to start one, and I don't want to start one, then we shouldn't ask why we're full of fear instead of faith. Make margin in your day for Jesus. Plan that time, that hour, that 20 minutes, that 10 minutes with him. What are you going to do with God during that time? What do you want to happen? And protect it. And as you do that, he will stand in faith instead of bowing in fear. stand I was thinking we all sometimes will see somebody who keeps their mouth shut when someone's being rude to them or they're having something happen to them in their life and sometimes we'll look at them like they're weak because man why didn't you say anything to them why didn't you tell them but as you dig deeper with God realize they're not weak they're being meek you think that they're weak and they're actually strong you see the habit of putting time in with me enables them to not say something they shouldn't say or do something they shouldn't do you can just tell a lot about how how far someone is with God by how they respond. I just encourage you today and I encourage myself today. I would love to see to see a church that goes deep with God. That's willing to, to just seek more of His power and more of His grace and more of His mercy and more of His wisdom. Some of the fish that you want to catch they're deeper and you're fishing in the shallow area and you're frustrated because you're catching these little bitty fish the hogs are down deep forgive my fishing analogy if you want to catch the big one you got to go deeper you got to learn more if you want more of God's grace to help you with a habit that you've been struggling with with year for years maybe five minutes isn't going to cut it or 25 minutes Maybe you're going to have to spend more time with God. You've got to dig deeper. Lord Jesus, today, I pray, Father, that that 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide thing in our life, I pray it would be you. Father, if it's not, Father, forgive. Lord, I pray that we would repent of that. Lord, I pray there'd be some people in here today that would take God from the background into the foreground and begin to gaze at you and they would move some of those worries and those struggles to the background, Father, and begin to see you. Father, thank you today that as we meet with you, you meet with us. Father, may we be intentional with our habits. May we prepare instead of reacting.
May we gaze at you and not at the problem. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your patience. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Have a blessed day.